Dennis, you often talk on this program that food's the best medicine. Mm. Now, just recently you've had a very interesting, well, uh, an indication that this might indeed be the case. Oh, very much so, Jane. We've got a very exciting recent example of how food can alter the whole direction of a disease process. We'll talk about it in a moment. Two NURFM's Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. And Dennis Stewart, we know food is great medicine. Mm, we mm, do. Mm. You've told us lots. Absolutely. Tell us about this, uh, this oh, incident. Look, this, that is, this is a very, very exciting incident and uh, was quite reaffirming uh, for me. Um, it, it all happened last week. No, it all happened this week. Um, my wife periodically uh, has adjustments done to her dentures. And so we went to see uh, a gentleman that we saw many years ago um, to have a few adjustments made. And it turned out that he had studied under me about 25 to 30 years ago and um, was quite an enthusiast for what we might call natural medicine approaches, nutritional approaches to health. And he, he demonstrated his ongoing enthusiasm by showing me a copy of a book that we've mentioned on this program, uh, Healing Yourself with Fruits, Grains and Vegetables. Uh, he had sourced a recent copy of it. Uh, and the book was written by the French doctor, Dr. Jean Valnay, a wonderful book, Healing Yourself with Fruits, Grains and Vegetables. Uh, and that he told me this in incident where his interest in nutrition and his firm belief that what we eat does influence our health. His dear old dad had been uh, hospitalised for some time and had a condition that was diagnosed as being terminal. And like a good son, he visited his father on a regularly, uh, regular basis and saw the ongoing decline in his father associated with this uh, terminal condition. What distressed him, however, was that his father had uh, not thrived on the food that was being fed to him. and I suppose uh, that can happen in of hospitals. Of course it can, it, it can yeah. indeed. And with no disrespect to the hospitals, uh, he, this lovely son that he is um, was not prepared to see his dad just slip, slip, slip away without trying to fight it. So as the story goes, and he told uh, Ruth and myself, that he went and bought a food processor. Mm -hmm. And uh, based on the knowledge that he had about nutrition and freshness, vegetables and fruits, he, on, on a daily basis, uh, would put together a concoction of various vegetables and fruits in the processor and turn them into a semi-liquid state. And then he would take that on a daily basis, this fresh uh, concoction. Did he cook it? No, it so was all just raw. all raw. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the clue, the rawness of the whole thing with all the, the latent vegetables and minerals in it. And so he took it up and on a daily basis began to uh, feed his dear old dad with it. And as the story goes, from the time that he started uh, feeding this supplement that he himself diligently on a daily basis made, he could see the change in ah, his dad's condition. It's remarkable. It is remarkable. And look, the cynics would say, oh, look, this is nothing more than tender, loving care having its uh, best effect. But no, it was more than that because this condition had been diagnosed as being terminal. We won't elaborate on it. But in any case, um, the gentleman was eventually discharged. And at the final meeting, so the story goes, when uh, the, the, himself and his son um, were interviewed by a panel of doctors, 
who acknowledged that the condition was in retreat, uh, the son said to the good doctors that were there, good men they are too, uh, how, uh, what do you put this down to? How could this happen? And uh, one of them apparently says, it's a miracle. And my, <laughs> my ex-student and, and, and uh, uh, lovely gentleman that he is, a lovely man. And uh, preparer of fresh, and preparer fresh vegetables. Fresh, I thought, you've learned a little bit. <laughs> yeah. But what a great story that here, look, it was probably a coming together, Jane, of, of a number of things, tender, loving care, um, good supplements with fresh fruit and vegetables. And the guy just thrived. Now, we've said enough on this program to appreciate that, that vegetables and fruits, uh, they contain a lot of principles in them, active principles, that can work against various disease processes. This, I believe, was an example, perhaps, of where the coming together of many of those nutrients, vitamins and minerals and enzymes and uh, micronutrients came together and formed uh, a significant impact on the person's immune system, which was sufficient to be able to send the condition into retreat. I don't doubt this one little bit because it, it reaffirmed a lot of what I've heard in my 40 years of experience where people have had a remarkable incident in their life where there's been a health crisis, where nothing else worked, but where they embarked on a program of nutrition with an emphasis on fresh fruit, vegetables, foods, fresh grown properly on a daily basis. This has worked for many, many people. And my message today uh, to all people, but particularly elderly people, and I'm in that bracket, particularly elderly people, take a, take a lesson. Happy from, birthday <laughs> for the thank other you, day, Thank Dennis. you, Jane. Thank you, Jane. Um, for this recent example of where an elderly gentleman uh, came back from the doors of death by basically eating the right food, lovingly prepared, by a loving son. I think it's a great story. I think it's a great story. To NURFM's Health Naturally. Uh, talking about food, mm, it's mm. always good to talk about food anyway, but food as medicine is great. Um, oh, ah, now Michael has rung in with a question about okay. uh, something that's based on fuel, on food, mm. and that is wild yam cream. Michael from Adamstown, would you like to ask Dennis about your wild yam cream? Uh, good afternoon, Dennis. Hello, um, Michael. I've got a uh, container of wild yam cream for men. I was just wondering how it is best applied and when. I wonder why you would want to use it, Michael. It's his wild yam cream. <laughs> it, it, what was that? It's it's called his wild yam cream for men. Okay, wild yam is is uh, the what we call the English terminology for the herb um, Dioscorea villosa. Um, now the yams um, do contain uh, hormonal principles, but those hormonal principles uh, are usually the precursors of pharmaceuticals, <coughs> particularly pharmaceuticals that were originally used to develop the contraceptive pill. Um, wild yam as a herb I frequently use and is one of my most uh, popularly used herbs to address hormonal problems. It's part of my infertility formula. But let me just say that it needs... All the reading that I've done, Michael, indicates that any hormonal characteristics that it has are only released 
either through a pharmaceutical extraction or through being ingested as oral medication. I can find no evidence that satisfies me that the topical application of Dioscorea villosa or wild yam would have any significant benefits either on a male or a female and particularly as far as the male is concerned I have not heard it being used for any male condition I can imagine why it might be being recommended but in my opinion it's unlikely very very unlikely based on my understanding and I admit my understanding is not always correct but based on my understanding topical applications of wild yam have no significant hormonal reception across the skin and in my opinion you're wasting your time and money Michael that's my opinion. Well thanks for your call mm. Michael and uh, wild yam isn't a food after all it's a herb so. Well, so there, 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 are, there are many yams it's just that the uh, Dioscorea villosa is a yam that uh, originally came from the Americas and found its way into western herbal medicine uh, due to our understanding of its its chemistry. It contains significant chemical constituents that do have uh, hormonal ramifications. In fact, as I said to Michael, it was the yam that was originally extracted uh, to get the the chemical, if you like, that subsequently became used in much pharmaceutical hormonal therapy. But it seems in modern times, and this is my opinion, I have to be cautious what I'm saying, it seems in modern times... Uh, the the benefits of the wild yam have been pushed in a direction that I'm not confident can be justified. Mm. Uh, the, the the yams are eaten all around the world, and I have a I have a um, an opinion that the yams that are eaten by the islanders have a lot to do with their bulkiness and their strength and their stamina. And I'll <laughs> tell you a little story. It'll only take me a minute, but years ago. <laughs> I did a series of lectures for Blackmores in New Zealand. I used to fly in and fly out, and I used to fly out back to New South Wales on, on a Monday morning. And I remember being in a cab, being taken to the airport from the motel, and, and the driver was a very large islander. And he said, do you know Jomo? And he was the rugby player at that stage, very well-known New Zealand rugby player. When he, ran, when he ran, the earth would tremble, and if you wanted to tackle him, you'd just go the other way. And he said to me, he said... Words to the effect, do you know the secret of of his his strength and his ability? And, you know, I'm half asleep at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, so I don't know. He said, yams. He said, yams. He eats a lot of yams. Now, I've always remembered that, and it may be true. It might, might be just his imagination, but I can see some benefit there. But in Michael's situation, I'm, I'm very suspicious. The cream, yeah. probably yeah. not. Yes. Okay. Well, um, do you think it's particularly important for any any group of people, like young people or old mm, people, mm. when we're thinking about food and the foods we eat? I do. I do. Look, I think it's it's very easy uh, for people, uh, even at my stage in life, uh, which we'd call say the elderly uh, group of people in our in our population, to begin to lose interest. Uh, in nutrition and food and food preparation. I think that many, many families, many elderly people, once the kids have gone, um, uh, begin to perhaps get into a bit of a rut of not really being taken up with the importance of home-cooked food. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely believe, this is a belief, I genuinely believe that becoming disinterested 
in food, food selection, food preparation, food experimentation, in my opinion, hastens the ageing process and predisposes people in an elderly group to all sorts of diseases. Good health is not based, in my opinion, on supplements. It's not based on how many drugs or medications you, you take. It is based primarily on your personal endeavour to make sure that that body that has lasted you so long is continually being nurtured and nourished by good tucker from good supplies, as fresh as can be, cooked and cooked conservatively and cooked in an interested and loving way. That, in my way, or in my opinion, is the basis for resisting the ageing process and showing, if you like, um, an interest in the most fascinating endeavour that a human being can be associated with, that is the food we eat and its preparation. That's mm. a very mm. interesting mm. look. And, and from what you're saying, I'm getting that it's um, the, the good food will actually help the body help itself. Oh, so without a doubt. Boost the immune system without so you don't doubt. come down with so many problems. Without a doubt. In, in fact, it's a, it's a topic that you know, I could talk about all, all day, but uh, re- reviewing some of the, the literature that I have at home on this topic, I came across a book that helped me greatly in my health crisis when I was a young man called Rebuilding Health by the Scandinavian doctor and physiologist, Dr. Artie Wareland. He wrote a book entitled Rebuilding Health. Lovely work, still available, not read enough by medical practitioners and health practitioners. And in the foreword to this book, there was a foreword written by a doctor, Dr. Douglas Lato, MBCHB. And in... uh, Writing the preface to this book and accepting what was written in this book, which is basically Whelan's uh, nutritional ideas on how to treat various diseases along the lines that we've been talking, the doctor said this, when working in Oxford, I met the famous nutritionist, Dr. or Sir Robert McCarrison, on several occasions. He always said to me that the three necessities he demanded of food were It should be grown on healthy food, on healthy soil, I should say. I'll say it again. It should be grown on healthy soil. It should be eaten whole. And it should be eaten fresh. Now, put those three principles together. And if people are taken up with those, food grown on healthy soil, food eaten whole, and food eaten fresh, for the elderly population, taking that on board, to my way of thinking, can improved the whole process of ageing. Chris has rung in from Lambton. And hello, Chris, you've got something you'd like to say to Dennis. Hello, Dennis. Hello, Chris, how are you? I saw you yesterday, Dennis. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I thank you so much for seeing me. Oh, yes, OK, thank you, Chris. I needed to do something about my problem that I've been coping for quite some time. Yes. And yes. it's been hard, and I just needed to see somebody else get a second opinion. That's good. And I was glad to see you, Chris. To NURFM's Health Naturally. Well, Dennis, we're talking about foods mm. and things. So, um, foods and the elderly, and it is important for the elderly to be concerned with, uh, be interested. And I think, I think this is something that really does need to be emphasised. Life doesn't stop when the kids leave home and when a lot of the things that we do as parents um, are not as intense as what we previously did. Um, I'm of the belief that this gives us, uh, us elderly people, if you like to use that terminology, although I'm an anti 
um, ageist. I resist the whole concept of ageism. But I think this gives us an opportunity to experiment and to uh, spend more time, spend more time in looking at our food, experimenting with our food, and studying, studying the way in which certain cultures, by using uh, nutritional and dietary changes, um, have improved their life expectancy. Jane, I'll, I'll quote a case here, which again validates this point, because I know there would be people that would question this whole emphasis on, on food being, if you like, uh, a medicine of, of great potential. Years ago, there was an article in a well-known journal that was so important and so outstanding that I copied it out, or not copied it out, I tore it out. And like a lot of the articles that I tear out, when I go to get them again, I can't remember where I put them because there were so many. But this was about uh, a gentleman, uh, a Greek-American, who uh, uh, went to the United States from one of the Greek islands as a young man, made his fortune in the U.S., uh, but unfortunately, late in life, in his retirement, was diagnosed with uh, cancer of the lung. By going back to his island where he was born and eating the food that he was raised on, drinking the wine, by the way, <laughs> that he was raised on as well, and becoming part of that village culture again, he reversed the prognosis. Oh, that is And it was such an outstanding example of how food and diet and lifestyle can reverse disease that it was written up in this well-known popular magazine. There's another example of how food, particularly in the elderly, can reverse even some of the most sinister prognoses. It is John who's rung in from Edgeworth. John, you've got a question about your partner who has diabetes. Hello, John. Um, you'd remember us. I had Fleur with you, my partner, yes. with that rat. I do. Well... Well, she's got dementia as well, and it's getting yes, worse. Dear, and dear. also now, the doctor diagnosed her with with diabetes yes. the other day because it started off as sugar went up to six point six or yes, something. Yes, yes. And then they did the glucose yes. tolerance thing, and it yes. and went to uh, eleven, I think it was, yes, or twelve. Yes. But anyway, the thing is, he wants to put her on a, a tablet. Yes. And the tablet causes diarrhoea. Now, Fleur suffers badly from diarrhoea because of the Aricept or Donapezil okay. for the dementia. Okay. What I, what I would say here, John, straight away, I think I know the medication that your good doctor would have prescribed. Um, he would be doing what a doctor or any health professional would do. He would be seeking to prescribe medication to stop the blood sugar level elevating to a more dangerous and serious level where insulin might have to be administered. Now, what you also need to realise is that um, all medications have a potential for side effects, but sometimes I find with people that they overestimate the likelihood of an adverse effect. Um, the medication you're thinking about, if it has that adverse effect, in my opinion, I've not seen too much of it in patients that I have seen who would be on that medication. And in any case, uh, your doctor would fiddle with dosage, presumably, or even modify the medication until you got one that did the job without having a diarrhoea side effect. But I come back to the point, John, don't uh, retreat from the medication that your good GP would have prescribed. It's necessary. Your partner 
uh, seemingly being diagnosed with type 2 and your doctor is managing it appropriately and accordingly, you must proceed with that and see what occurs before you jump to conclusions. Your doctor will keep an eye on the condition and, in my opinion, proceed with it, dialogue with your doctor, and if there is an adverse effect, your doctor is competent and able to, to change it or modify it or fiddle with dosage. You stay with what your doctor's doing, John. Yeah, well, it's metformin. That's, it's and look, I might, surprise, I might surprise you when I say this, but even in our naturopathic profession, there is literature now which is suggesting that metformin is really a very, very good medication. And I can show you the text where that's stated, uh, a, natu- a, naturopathic medication, a naturopathic text written by an American gentleman. And he, like me, has not a great deal of issues with metformin. It's a first, a first line of defence. Um, it's a very proven medication. I would be quite content if I had to go onto it at any stage, John. Thank you for your call and all the very best for your partner with that. Now, Paul has rung in from Maitland. Paul, you've got a question about witch hazel. Uh, well, it's not a question, really. It's a comment. Um, I listened to the program a few months back and you mentioned uh, witch hazel being okay for hemorrhoids. Oh, yes, uh, yes. Yes, yes. And, uh, my sister, who has advanced MS, yes. um, she had this and was being treated for months and months with all sorts of other med- medications and creams and stuff. And I finally tracked down some witch hazel ointment. The only place I could find it was the compounding chemist in Hamilton. Yes. And uh, within a week, they were pretty much gone and Two weeks later, she's not suffering at all. That's good, What you've said is very, very encouraging, Paul. I'm glad you're listening to the program, and I'm glad that my mentioning of witch hazel to you was able to help uh, your sister in such a, a good way. For the sake of listeners, I'll just reiterate basically what I said about that old-fashioned herb, which, by the way, let me mention, is called up in some of the older editions of the British Pharmacopoeia and the British Pharmaceutical Codex. It was popularly used as a topical application within pharmacy and medicine going back a couple of generations where it proved itself, proved itself of being a unique remedy with astringent properties that mainly asserted themselves on on hemorrhoidal conditions, even sometimes bleeding hemorrhoidal conditions. It has other uh, possibilities as well. It's unfortunate, and I say this with great concern, it's unfortunate that a remedy like this with so much potential, uh, potential has been largely bypassed and I doubt whether it's even taught within pharmacy. I would like to think it would be. I stand contradiction. But um, it should be taught. It has remarkable potentials. It's also very, very good, by the way, for, for women who have early varicose veins. 
the distilled extract of witch hazel when, on, when put onto a bandage and, and, and firmly but not tightly uh, bandaged around the varicose vein can sometimes promote a retraction of the vein and lessen any further dilatation. A great remedy. I'm glad she got some benefits and I'm glad you did what you did because essentially what you did was what um, I heard about from this ex-student of mine, this lovely gentleman that my wife consulted regardless her denture, regarding her dentures, who did exactly the same, processed a lot of fruit and vegetables, turned them into a, into a gruel or a liquid form, gave them to his very, very ill dad and saw his dad's condition reverse itself. Well done, Paul. That's great. Thanks, Paul. And uh, it occurs to me, Dennis, that... Um as, you, as people get older, yeah. often their teeth don't get yes. don't keep their yes. full yes. strength, perhaps, and yes. maybe that's a good thing because that makes you blend things, and Look, then you it get does. all those extra benefits. And, and uh, if you can use vegetables in a in a crude, uh, fresh form, you are holding on to a lot of nutrients that are otherwise lost or destroyed in even moderate food processing. So you not only get a convenient way juicing or turning it into a, into a gruel, um, but uh, you're getting the maximum benefit that you can get from a vegetable. Uh, the, the raw food emphasis, fortunately, is coming back. Most great food reformers, from the Swiss uh, doctor, Dr. Uh, Ralph Berker, through to Dr. Ari Whelan from Scandinavia, uh, and many others, uh, all retreated to an emphasis on freshness. Uh, if you're going to process a food, process it minimally and a great emphasis interestingly on juices mm. a great emphasis and uh, you can buy a juice extractor or a food processor very very cheaply and you fall in love with making these things i, I was going to talk today i probably won't have a chance about the way in which uh, cabbage juice people say cabbage well look i remember my mother cooking cabbage and i ran a million miles to get away from it because it was always cooked to death uh, probably nothing in it except the smell of it being cooked. But fresh cabbage contains so many wonderful principles that an American doctor, Dr. Cheney, back in the 50s, uh, found out that cabbage juice taken regularly had the potential to address ulceration in the gastrointestinal tract. Oh. And there, using the fresh outside leaves of the cabbage as a juice, gives to someone who's battling gastrointestinal ulcers another way in which a food could contribute to healing. To NURFM's Health Naturally, and we're taking your calls. Kim has rung in from Merriweather. Kim, your question's about mouth ulcers. Yeah, Dennis, uh, I heard you a couple of weeks ago, someone rang in about mm. a, a treatment for mouth ulcers, and yes. you suggested there was something that almost gave immediate um, relief. I just couldn't. I was in the car and I couldn't recall exactly what you suggested. Okay. The, the, the main approach that is, is uh, used by herbal medicine practitioners is to use a mouthwash based on what's called tincture of myrrh, M-Y-R-R-H. Myrrh is a very old herb. Uh, it goes back to the Bible days. Its name is Comifora. Comifora mol mol is its botanical name, but it's known as myrrh and tincture of myrrh is a British pharmacopoeial preparation that was long used, long used in medicine to address many oral preparations. These days it's used, as I've said, by medical herbalists to quickly, quickly 
resolve uh, even the worst mouth ulcers. Um, so what I would suggest you do, it's, it should be readily obtained um, from a pharmacist, compounding pharmacist, medical herbalist would stock it. You get some of that. You Generally what I recommend is something like a teaspoonful of the tincture uh, put into, say, a, a little tumbler with some warm water and one uh, rinses one's mouth out with that a couple of times a day. It has proven to be exceedingly successful. Also, what I recommend as far as a herb to be taken as a, somewhat as a preventative basis, there is a lovely herb called meadowsweet. I don't talk a lot about it on the program, but it is a herb that addresses a lot of what we call acidic conditions in the mouth and the upper gut, meadowsweet. It can be best obtained as a dried herb and converted into a very, um, well, not tasty, but not an obnoxious herbal tea. And drinking a couple of cups of meadowsweet daily um, should build up some prevention against the reassertion of the mouth ulcer, which would lessen your need to have to use an oral treatment for it. Okay. And Dennis, is coleslaw a similar thing to um, uh, mouth ulcers, or is that different again? Yeah, coleslaw is, is somewhat different. Coleslaw is based on, on, a, on a virus, that's herpes simplex, and the, the management for that uh, in herbal medicine is, is quite different, and I find that uh, a topical treatment uh, from a herbal point of view that incorporates uh, what's called glycotinic acid. Uh, that sounds a bit awesome, but it's also known as glycorrhizin. That's the active principle from the herb licorice. That has remarkable uh, abilities in, in taking up the blister when it has occurred or lessening the development of the blister if you get onto it early. But also, um, with this condition, um, I always recommend the taking of the of the Asian formula Astragalus 8, which in my opinion is one of the most useful devices for stemming the assertion of, of herpes simplex activity. How do you, how do you spell Astragalus? I thought you, I thought you were going to ask that. <laughs> a, A-S-T-R-A, Astragalus, G-A-L-U-S. And Astragalus okay. 8 yeah. is an Asian compound, but Astragalus on its own, as leader of the pack, is, is very, very useful. And uh, I'd be interested in getting your feedback if you get this condition regularly i'd be interested in your feedback on that twin approach okay i appreciate that thanks dennis thank you thank you if you call kim and helen has rung in from maryland and your questions about cannabis oil helen it is yes and what's the question um you want I to know if it's any good i'd like to know if it's yeah, what, what, what happens? What's the difference between cannabis oil and the way you smoke it, please? Uh, not quite sure what you're on about there, Helen, but yes. Okay, so uh, cannabis, of course, just having been um, legalised in the ACT, but not yet in New mm. South Wales. The oil is probably Look, something I, I a little just, different. i just say in, 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 in comment on this, Mm-hmm. There seems to be a bit of a bandwagon thing happening happening with cannabis products uh, until until uh, cannabis products, whether it be cannabis oil or any other form of it, is legalised and permitted to be dispensed by a pharmacist or scripted by a doctor. I caution people to be very, very um, cautious in not being caught up with the bandwagon effect. 
when um, cannabis comes into its own, and I might surprise listeners when I say that I am a great fan of the medical possibilities of cannabis. I have, in fact, lectured on the possibilities of it, which have been well known. And in the book that I've mentioned on this program frequently by the great uh, German doctor, Dr. Rudolf Weiss, who is an expert on herbs, the section that he has uh, on cannabis as a psychotropic medication is one of the best that I've read. Uh, But, uh, again, uh, it's a preparation of cannabis that should be uh, utilised in a proper way because it can uh, any cannabis preparation, in my opinion, needs to be used discreetly. And I wait with enthusiasm for the medical profession and the pharmacy profession to get on board so that the benefits of, can- of cannabis can be made more available to the public. Mm, that sounds fair. Uh, Dennis, in our last couple of minutes, um, maybe you might think about some other things that yeah. might help the elderly resist ageing. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you've got a whole I, I, store of things I could there. talk about my own experience here. But look, I think ageing can be a very, very exciting uh, period of time. I have emphasised the importance that I place on becoming interested in food, food experimentation, and being uh, endeavouring to address health problems that arise as we get older from a nutritional perspective. But I also think in the ageing process we need to take on board other factors that can help resist uh, ageing syndromes. For instance, I'm, I'm a great believer in, the, in, what, in what we might call moderate and sensible exercise therapy. Now, I know exercise can be overdone, and I, I think presently there is a bit of a danger that people uh, see exercise as being a cure-all for all sorts of problems. I'm not sure that that is the case, but I think as we get older, it's easy to fall into a sedentary style of life. And as a result of that, a lot of the benefits of movement, of exercise, are lost. And that has ramifications on our circulatory system, our cardiovascular system, and other systems. Now, it doesn't mean to say that one has to pound the pavement or even join the gym, not that there's anything necessarily the matter with that, but it does mean, it does mean a regular understanding that movement, uh, walking around the block even, I see this where I live in the Hunter Valley, I see gentlemen that every day seem to be preoccupied with walking around the block over and over again, and they look as fit as a fiddle. Also, I believe as we get older, it's important to socialise. Very important to socialise and look, not just socialise with people our own age, but socialise with youth, socialise with young people. That keeps you young. Oh, it does indeed. Look, I have uh, 11 grandchildren and I delight to be in their company because they use terminology and language concepts and ideas that stimulate me and fascinate me and sometimes allows me to correct some of those ideas. So there's some of the principles that I think are very important. And, of course, living in the Hunter Valley on a regular daily basis, making sure that a glass of good red wine with plenty of resveratrol in it also helps in antagonise antagonising age. So red wine is slightly better than well, white wine. It's got a lot wine, of res- resveratrol in it. Resveratrol, And resveratrol okay. is considered to be that factor in red wine, which many claim 
explains why it has an acknowledged health benefit, particularly on the cardiovascular system. Okay, so it's not only wine from the Hunter Valley, is it? But um, oh, no, we make good wines. We in the OJ. certainly we make do. Very make good Shiraz, very good Shiraz, and very good Merlots. And in fact, we make very good reds, and we make a very, very good, a couple of very, very good. Uh, White wines as well. We do indeed. So there we are. We've got good food. Good We've wine. got good wine. Yeah. We've got <laughs> good uh, company. Good company and <laughs> good exercise. Good exercise, <laughs> and we're all set up. We're we? ready to go. And that is health naturally for today. Thank you, Dennis Thank Stewart, you, and we will be back next Friday after the midday news. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Two NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.